Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. This week on the Living Free Show, we'll focus on how two fellowships that help alcoholics and their families and friends recover from the effects of alcoholism itself and the family disease of alcoholism. Because of the coronavirus restrictions, we're doing the interview by Zoom again, so I'd like to welcome Gail and Steve to the show. Hi. Hi. Hello, Bill. Uh, they're alcoholics, recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're also members of Alan family groups. Uh, so, Gail, we usually start talking about, you know, growing up and family and things that influenced you as a child and how, you know, how that impacted your life. So um, what, what was it like for you growing up? Well, when I was growing up, I always felt different from other people. I felt that there was something wrong with me and that I don't know um, how to fix it up. Uh, I didn't think it could be fixed up, what was ever wrong with me, but I definitely felt different to other people growing up. I had very low self-esteem. I had trouble uh, making friends at school. And life, on the most part for me, was fairly overwhelming from a very early age. So did you have any um, drinking or drug use in your family? Uh, yes, my father uh, was an alcoholic and uh, he would have a drink of whiskey at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, he had his own business, so then he'd go off to work and come home at lunchtime and have some more drinks and then come home again of an evening and, and have some more drinks. Um, but he wasn't the type of drunk that was obviously drunk all the time or slurring his words or falling all over about the place. You know, he felt... he left himself fairly well composed. So did you feel relaxed in your family? Was it a happy family? Um, no, it wasn't a happy family and I never felt relaxed because there was a lot of tension in the home. Uh, there was never any real communication. Um, uh, we, we took direction from my father and it was sort of, you know, do as I do or else. And uh, so I guess we were all scared and... Um, yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a happy, um, happy family. I was depressed a lot of the time and uh, a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh, what about your mum? Could she help? No, I, no, I don't think she really did. My mother had her own issues. She had her own health issues, which weren't to do with alcoholism. Um, but I think you know she was a person who was also quite depressed and anxious and. Um, and once again, because there wasn't much communication, no, no my, mother, my mother didn't help. Yeah. So what was life like at school? Yeah, school was fairly difficult for me. I didn't feel part of, um, part of the school. Um, I had trouble making friends at school. My schooling in the early years wasn't that good because, uh, you know, I remember on my report cards it was always written that I, I lacked concentration. And part of dealing with alcoholism for me was to go off into daydreams. So I didn't concentrate on my schooling too much. So did you have any siblings? Uh, yes, I did have one brother that was um, three years younger than me. Did you get on? Uh, no, we, we didn't have a good relationship. We, well, once again, we never really communicated much about each other, uh, with each other, but... Um, yeah, there was a lot of tension between us and, um, yeah, there was never really any real friendship between myself and my brother. Yeah. So was school an escape from home? Look, I didn't really feel that, like school was a, a, an escape from home because I, I grew up in a, um, a strict Catholic family, so I went to um, Catholic school in both primary and secondary and I felt like um, school was just a bit of an extension of home. Yeah, with lots of lots of the wrong messages given to us, and um, yeah, no, I didn't feel like it was an escape from home. Yeah. So, did you enjoy it at school? Though, what, did you make friends? Yeah, I guess I did make friends in the sense that we'd go to each other's houses for um, birthday parties and and get-togethers and things like that. 
But I never really communicated with any of my friends about how I really felt about, you know, my family, my family life. And so it was sort of a bit, um, bit shallow, I think, these friendships. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Steve, what about you? What was your, what was life like growing up in your family? Uh, in my family, we were, I was one of seven and uh, also Catholic family and uh, our house was basically known as the Madhouse and uh, I don't know if that was self-titled or what have you, but um, there's always things going on. Um, my father was an alcoholic and uh, three brothers, three sisters. I was the fifth in line. I... Uh, never felt part of I, I actually you know was convinced at certain stages that I was adopted um but when um you know people would ring up they'd always say oh hi Alan and um you know that sort of I was absolute spitting image of my father but um so was your dad a, a friendly drunk yeah he, he was very friendly drunk you know quite popular you know for my friends all that sort of thing he was high functioning. He was a, a bank manager, you know. But we'd we'd go to the football on the weekend, and he'd buy his six cans of beer, and we'd sit down in the um, alcohol area, and uh, turn to me and say, "Right, don't tell your mother." And uh, but as soon as we got home, you know, my mother would ask, "Oh, was your father drinking at at the game today?" And um, you know, I'd never knew which way to turn and just always felt bad and, and, you know, nothing was ever spoken in our family. Um, it was quite funny, um, you know, of the seven of us, I think it was either all seven or, or six of us were hit by cars and, um, you know, but it was always the uh, driver's fault, luckily, so that's great. <laughs> Uh, so what about holidays and things? Did Were they more relaxed and family-like? Nah, we, we rarely had holidays. The only time we'd have holidays were if we'd house-sit our, our um, cousin's um, house in Beechworth or something like that. And But other than that, most of them, because my mother worked, I was lugged with the uh, my younger brother and sister and I'd stay at my grandmother's and, um, you know, another brother and sister would often go away with other cousins. Um, so I was always jealous of that. Yeah. So didn't enjoy holidays that much, but, um, yeah. Okay. So did you get on with your brothers and sisters? At times, yes. At times, no. Um, like I said, it was a madhouse. And um, I, I did, you know, my older brother... But it was just always volatile. You, 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 ne you never felt safe or confident, anything like that. So, you know, in a word, not really. And certainly never spoke, you know, any deep, meaningful, everything like that. For our, us, you know, sarcasm was a sport in our family, around the table, all that sort of... And if people came over and we noticed they were a little bit vulnerable... <laughs> a fair game. So they were fair game, and uh, and I was pretty good at it. I was probably as good as my father. So, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, Gail, back to you. Um, so, leaving school, then we were able to escape from from home. Well, I thought when I'd left school that I had escaped the atmosphere and the problems and that my life was going to be different because I'd actually, you know, physically left the environment. But I found out that this wasn't the case because I'd taken the isms of alcoholism with me into the uh, outside world and, um, you know, I had a lot of trouble with um, relationships with other people and uh, my employers and... Yeah, so no, I, I didn't escape. Um, I didn't escape from the family environment just because I'd left home. Did you find it better being a bit more anonymous, moving away from home? Um, I did like that because I, I came from a small country town and there was always a lot of gossip going on. So it was good to move to a big city and have a lot of anonymity about my life, yes. 
I enjoyed that aspect of it. Okay. Uh, had you started drinking by the time you left home? Um, I did have my first drink at 14, but I didn't get into regular drinking until I left school and started work, and that was um, when I was 17. Okay. So did you enjoy drinking? Oh, look, I did in the beginning. It was great. It, it gave me the confidence that I didn't know, um, otherwise have, and it made me feel the same as everybody else. And, um, yeah, it just sort of... I thought it took away all my problems, you know, and uh, made me feel at ease with other people. And uh, uh, I did enjoy it in the beginning, yes. Okay. So did you feel it made you a whole person? I think that's the yeah. thing that I hear from alcoholics, that they feel like for once all the loose nuts have been tightened. And Yes, it did, it did make me feel like a whole person, yeah. But then once I got sober again, <laughs> then <laughs> I'd be back again. <laughs> uh, so how did you drink? What was your normal drinking pattern? My normal drinking pattern started off with um, heavy weekend drinking of a Saturday um, so we'd, you know, go to the pub, a group of us, of a Saturday evening, and then we'd wind up at someone's house for a party after the pub had closed and drink until the uh, early hours of the morning, and that was a weekly occurrence. Yeah. So did you drink to blackout initially or not? No. No, I didn't drink to blackout initially, but that came later on. Okay. So did you gravitate to people who drank? Oh, yes, yes. I didn't want really to have anything to do with people who didn't uh, want to drink the way um, that I wanted to because I just felt like that I had nothing in common with them and uh, I was just wasting my time being with them. I didn't like people criticising me for the way I drank. So if I hung out with people who drank the same as I did, then you didn't get that uh, criticism. Right. <laughs> so were you a competitive drinker? Um, I could drink most most men under the table. I don't know if it was competitive. It was just that once I started drinking, I could, in the beginning, drink quite a lot of um, beer without being obviously drunk, and I just had a, an enormous capacity for booze, yeah. Yeah. So did your drinking affect your relationships? Oh, it certainly did, Yes. Because, you know, when I was drunk, I would say what was on my mind and sometimes it wasn't nice. You know, also, um, because I had such low self-esteem, if there was any issues with anybody in my life, I never, I never have ever had the courage or the confidence to address them. So, you know, I would um, not address things that should have been addressed. And then when I did eventually get round to addressing them, it would be a very nasty berating of the person that had, you know, caused me some sort of harm in my eyes. Okay. So did this lead you to fall out with people? Did you have to keep changing friends to keep drinking? Oh, yes, I changed friends many times. Um, but more often than not, friends, you know, said that they didn't want that much to do with me because they couldn't handle my behaviour when I was drinking. So more often than not, it wasn't my choice. Um, but I did always seek out people who drank the same as what I did. So did did that give you some confidence in socialisation? Socialisation? Did you feel that you were part of a group as a drinker? Well, look, sometimes when I was in a group and I was drinking, I didn't feel part of it. I still felt like I was on the outside looking in. Yeah, I just, yeah, no, I don't think I really felt that... Uh, much a part of anything when I was drinking. Okay. So back to you then, Steve. So going to school, did going to secondary school change your life? No, I not really. I I went to a um, a private school and uh, I just didn't feel part of sort of thing. You know, everyone had, uh, well, most people had decent cars, but uh, we seemed to have the cars that had things in them, old second-hand beat-up things and what have you. So I'd actually, you know, absolutely shudder <laughs> if Dad was picking me up sometimes and all that sort of thing. Other times it was good fun because one time he picked us up in the, the Volkswagen and um, I think we got nine kids in it. <laughs> it was a bit of fun. Uh, so what about friendships? Did you, did you feel comfortable in your friendship group? group 
Look, I, I was always, you know, part of friendship groups, you know, maybe you could even call them the in crowd, but I, I always just felt on that outside, just never quite comfortable, what have you. You know, our, our friends had this habit of um, ostracising one of the friends sort of thing every so often, and I got so scared it was going to be me next, so I, I changed friends and uh, mucked around with guys that were into dope and things like that. So when did you start drinking? Uh, I was 13 or 14. I first had my first drink um, over at a mate's sleepover and uh, we pinched a uh, bottle of sherry. I think it was sherry. And um, I uh, (laughs) just all gulped a heap and could not feel the uh, feeling, you know, that it brought over me and uh, I drank nearly the whole bottle. So (laughs) woke up the next morning in the garbage bag and couldn't wait to do it again though. So So did you, how did it make you feel? I, well, like, like, you know, you hear the, always felt like a square peg trying to fit into the round holes. And for me, alcohol shaved those edges off and I could fit in. Uh, the only problem is you wake up in the morning and the edges are back again and you don't don't feel as though you can fit in again. Right, okay. Uh, so were you a good student? My mother would always introduce me as the, uh, you know, this is the, the next doctor or this is the doctor in the family or, you know, whatever the next doctor. But, you know, on every single report card, they had a stamp for me, which was could do better if applied himself. Uh, because I, I'd only do the bare minimum to get to what I need to do sort of thing. I, I wouldn't get to my potential, you know. I I don't know how people studied things like that. I'd, every assignment I'd do the night before, if not the day, on the day, things like that, rarely studied. And, and um, But I needed 2.35 or 6 to get into uni and I got 2.37, so. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> okay right eh? well listen we might take a quick break there throughout the month of june we'll be asking you the listener to support radical community-owned media during our june station appeal we'll be taking donations online to help keep the station going for another year like so many community organizations We're feeling the impact of COVID-19 restrictions, and we know you are too. But independent community media is more important than ever, and we hope you can show your support with a donation. The 3CR Station Appeal starts on Monday the 1st of June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. 3CR, here to stay. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, just call 3, the 3CR office on 9419 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking with Gail and Steve about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous and also from the family disease of alcoholism through Alaron Family Groups. So Gail, I think we left you, you said you were, your drinking was uh, was sort of weekly. So what was your, what was your drinking pattern like? Uh, my drinking pattern to begin with was um, weekend drinking of a Saturday evening. Um, and then it progressed to weekend drink, uh, to week uh, midweek drinking, um, and then it progressed to everyday drinking, and then it progressed to around the clock drinking. And uh, if I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep, I'd get up and have a drink so that I could go back to sleep again. Okay. Did you try and control your drinking at any stage? Uh, I did try and control my drinking. Um, I'd make promises to myself that. Um, Next time I drink, I won't drink so much or 
maybe I'll have a glass of lemonade in between a glass of beer and sort of stretch it out that way. Um, but unfortunately, I never really followed through on anything properly. It, it never really worked for me. There were, there were good intentions that um, uh, never came to fruition. Okay. So was drinking making your life better or worse? Well, in the beginning, I thought it made it better because it gave me lots of confidence and um, helped me communicate easily with other people. But it didn't take long before, you know, drinking started to be a problem for me, um, even very early on in my drinking, um, in that, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be wondering what I'd said or done the night before to embarrass myself. Um, and then, you know, I had, I had car accidents and I started to lose jobs and uh, friends dropped away and, uh, yeah, it, you know, went downhill. Okay. So did your friends ever say you should stop drinking? Did they warn you? Oh, they did, yeah. Um, yeah, several people suggested to me that I, um, I shouldn't drink as much as I did and they said to me things like you don't need it. But uh, unfortunately for me, I think I did need it. Uh, so how did it affect your relationships? Well, I guess when I, um, I started drinking, you know, you can't guarantee your behaviour once you pick up the first drink. And then sometimes my behaviour was just atrocious. And uh, quite often I'd say the first thing that came to mind when I was out and about with people, and it wouldn't be nice. And, you know, I, I would just ruin lots of friendships by being very unreliable and uh, irresponsible and um, just reckless in, in the way I live my life. So did you use alcohol as a crutch? Oh, certainly, yeah. I certainly used it as a crutch, yes. Yeah. And uh, I realised that probably a couple of years into fairly heavy drinking, I realised that I was using it as a crutch, but by then I felt I needed it so much I... I wasn't prepared to try and do anything about it. So did you did you try and get any help for that? Did you sort of try and figure out a way around drinking? Um, I did actually. When I realised that my life um, was, was a lot different to those of the people that I'd gone to school with and other friends that I'd made along the way and I knew that there was something drastically wrong with my life, I did go and seek help from professionals such as uh, doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists. And um, even though I told some of these people the amount of alcohol I drank, none of them, to my recollection, ever suggested that I uh, give up drinking. And certainly there was never any mention of um, attending Alcoholics Anonymous. So when did you seek help? I guess I sought help when I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And for me, that was um, waking up every morning with um, depression, anxiety, fear of impending doom, not being able to go to work in the morning without going and having a glass of wine to go, on, to go down to the tram stop and get on the tram to go to work. And when, when I guess alcohol had just consumed my whole life. So you said that the counsellors and things didn't help so did they what sort of things were they suggesting well i guess in a way that they did help but not in, in getting me to um address my drinking problem but they helped in other ways in that i could uh go and talk to somebody about how i felt and feel that you know what i was saying would be treated with confidence um so it helped me in that way and i suppose it relieved a bit of anxiety being able to do that but, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really help me um, with um, going and, uh, like, trying to um, get help for my actual drinking problem. Yeah. So how did you find out about AA? Look, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. Um, and you hear a lot of alcoholics say this, but, but somehow, miraculously, when the time was right, they found AA. And I think maybe for me in the back of my head was that um, a neighbour in this small country town that I grew up in was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because it was quite the talk of this um, small country town. And then when I did seek help, I contacted a friend of mine and I knew her father was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So how I ever remembered all that in the middle of my drinking, I don't know, but that was what happened. Okay. 
So what was it like going to AA? Um, I was a bit frightened about it and I certainly didn't want to go to AA. Um, but uh, in the end, I just didn't have any choice. I, I had to, uh, it was like AA or amen, as the saying goes. Um, so I was frightened going to my first meeting. But um, when I went, walked into the room, um, I was made to feel comfortable and welcomed by the members that were already there. Yeah, so, it, you know, from the first meeting onwards, it wasn't that hard. Um, once I realised how AA worked and, uh, you know, that people were sharing uh, their personal stories about what happened to them, um, what it was like when they was drinking, what happened to them and what it was like now, and that that could happen for me if I just stuck with the program. Okay. Right, so back to you, Steve. We sort of stopped with you finishing secondary school and going to uni, I think it was. So what was it like at uni? Um, well, I went to uni down at Geelong. I grew up in Glen Waverley and um, I uh, it just all that that fear of of trying to start new friendships and things like that. So I, I thought I'll, I'll drive backwards and forwards. So I never really... Um, tried that hard and all those sort of things. And then my father actually died of alcoholism while I was at um, there. You know, I'd, I'd completed second year and, and um, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll defer, but I won't actually put the deferral in. They'll magically know that I've deferred and um, everything will be all right. But it wasn't, so uh, I was asked to leave. So I, I, after he died, I dropped out and I, I went and did uh, photography, a photography course. Okay, so was drinking a problem to you at that point? Yes, yeah. Look, it would be, well, I wouldn't think it, at the time, I didn't think it was because uh, it would be just, oh, yeah, okay, I've, I've drunk too much again, those sort of things. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was like, you know, I can remember when I worked at it, I was working at a um, golf course and, um I had to open up at 5.30 in the morning and I had a, a mate's party the night before and, you know, I had the um, good idea I'll stop drinking at 12 and go home at 12.30 and um, I stopped at 12 but 5 past 12 someone asked me where my beer was and I said, oh, no, I'm working tomorrow and they gave me another beer. So <laughs> I was there till 3 or so and um, anyway... <laughs> I got to work, but uh, I fell asleep at the gate. Um, so did you ever think you were like your father when he drank or not? No, look, I, I always had my mother saying to me, please don't drink, you remind me exactly of your father. Um, I, I just sort of had the idea, oh, well, if I get as bad as him, I'll just stop. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't see myself as bad as that. Um not until a lot later, you know, when I started, when I, you know, around 40, I thought, oh, I wonder what he was like, you know. And when he was 40, he would have been, I would have been, you know, 9, 10 or 11, I can't quite remember. But um, So did you want to keep drinking or did you want to stop? I wanted to have the first few drinks because... I could relax, I could fit in, I could feel better, um, yeah, I could even dance a little. I, I, I thought there was one magical drink. If I just avoided that one through the night, I wouldn't end up so pissed or throwing up, you know, regret, all those sort of things. You know, I, I thought that drink existed around one or two in the morning sort of thing, and if I avoid that one, it won't be so bad. And, and then other times I'd wake up thinking I'll never, ever do that again. And um, But it was more about I needed to have a few drinks. I just didn't need to have as much as what I <laughs> was drinking. Right. Did you get into drugs as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was into, you know, dope quite a bit. I, I even um, uh, took a lot of acid because um, for me I could drink a lot on acid and but I had my mate saying to me hey you know, Steve what are you doing you don't need a drink on this stuff you know and my way around it was well don't tell them I'm taking it 
and so I could just keep drinking that night because, uh, yeah. But and I so I I would always have a few tabs of acid in my uh, wallet. Yeah, I wouldn't tell anyone that I was taking it. I'd just take it and out I'd go. But then you know, one night I did something that I didn't really want to do, and you know, guilt, shame, remorse. But so I just stopped taking acid. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what about relationships? Did you were you able to have decent relationships while you were drinking? Yes and no. Yeah, I. <laughs> Um, I get into trouble a lot and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd, I'd go to the football and, you know, with, this is before I was married, but now my wife, um, yeah, yep, yep. I'll go and, um, we'd always go to the pub after the game and, um, you know, I'd ring and just say, yeah, look, I'll be home in about half an hour and then, um, have a, just because I'll just have a couple of drinks, but I, mind you, I'd already had a few before the game and a heap during the game and and all that. And then um, forty five minutes later, I'd ring and say, "Look, I'll be leaving soon. You know, sorry, I should be home by now." And then, yeah, I'd be walking back to tell my mates I'm leaving, and I'd have two jugs in my hand, and um, you know, be regretting even ringing up and all those sort of things. And yeah. So, did you ever settle down? Eventually, yeah, I, I met my now wife in a pub, funnily enough, um, and, uh, yeah, so <laughs> we're married now, <laughs> whatever. Okay, back to you, Gail. So getting into AA, what sort of change did that have on you in the, in the short term? Because I wasn't spending all the money um, that I earned on drinking, I, I came quite good um, financially fairly quickly. Um, I also started to look after myself a lot better and, and started to eat properly and to get enough rest. Um, and I think, too, it was, was somewhere for me to go. Um, I, uh, I was working during the day, but over an evening, I'd, um, I'd be able to go out and um, meet up with other, other sober alcoholics of an evening. Um, so it sort of helped me um, that way, not being so isolated from people. Yeah. So, so did it improve your worst work prospects? Were you able to get a job again? Um, I got a job within the first, um, I think it was the first two or three weeks of um, being sober. And uh, I got a permanent job because when I was drinking, I'd um, just been doing a bit of temporary work so that I could fit in more drinking around that. But I got a, a permanent uh, nine-to-five job. And, um, yeah, actually, I didn't have any trouble getting that job. I was quite lucky. So what was the thing that you got from the meetings? I think the, the best thing that I got from the meetings was um, to be made to feel welcome and to be accepted for who I was um, without any judgments being passed. And just a sense of hope, and that I could, um, my life could work out, and I, I uh, yeah, could recover from this disease of alcoholism. So was it easy the first year in AA? Oh no, it wasn't. It was really hard. It was really hard because uh, by the time I got to AA, I'd made quite a mess of my life, and I had no idea how it was all going to sort itself out. So. I basically just put one foot in front of the other, uh, went to meetings and did the suggested things, which were, you know, don't pick up the first drink for a day at a time and go to meetings, um, uh, put AA above everything else. Yeah, and it was hard because, you know, I'd lost a lot of friends and, um, yeah, so I had a lot of spare time on my hands, I guess, times when I felt quite lonely. But, um, you know, you went to a meeting and then quite often we'd go out for a cup of coffee or something afterwards. So there was the fellowship side of it too that um, helped me a lot. Yeah, it reduces the isolation, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah that's right, yeah. <laughs> Big time, yeah. Okay, so Steve, so you got married and what happened next? Along the line, my, my wife started going to AA and, and then after a bit she suggested maybe I attend Al-Anon and uh, I won't say my exact thought or response to that was but um, it was not quite agreeing and questioning why I would need it. But it eventually I went one night, it was more to shut her up than anything and uh, 
I sat in the car. I wasn't going to go in. I just went with the intention of just sitting in my car for a while and then going home and saying, yeah, wasn't that good or something. And um, I, I thought oh, I didn't notice anybody in there anyway or anybody walking in and out of the, the place. It was at the Mitcham on a Monday night. And um, so I thought, oh, I'll go knock on the door. And um, there's just a lady there, Mary, and, um, you know, we sat down and, and she told me, her story sort of thing and um i can see a lot of similarities and and that with the experience of growing up with it in an alcoholic environment so did that help you identify what was going on inside your head like your relationship with your dad not not initially i sort of at that stage had the you know everything was my dad's fault anyway or somebody else's fault that sort of thing. It, it, it took a little time, but but yeah, that that did come. That you know, I, I started going. Mary actually suggested that I go to a um, uh, adult children's of alcoholic group in Montalbert, and um, that's where I met yourself, Bill, and, and Mark, and um, you know, identified greatly with that. But at first, I just everything was Dad's fault, and then. I stopped going for a little bit and then went back and returned because I, I, I saw that it was, you know, looking at yourself rather than the alcoholic and I didn't really want to do that initially. Yeah. <laughs> not, not many of us do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take uh, another short break. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, digital radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Gail and Steve about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous and also from the family disease of alcoholism through Al-Anon family groups. So, Steve, you're in Al-Anon and you're drinking. So how, how did that work out for you? You know, did you, did you sort of identify that, that was a bit of a, bit of a conflict? No, not at first because uh, good old denial goes a long way and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, as I, I was going to, you know, my Al-Anon meetings and, and then um, I started doing uh, other things. I, I started getting the, uh, uh, members planting the seed, as I saw it for me, and um, I used to go to the football with Mark a, couple, a few times, and um, and one time we were walking to the ground, and I'd been out the night before, and um, I was still quite sick, hungover, and um, had a little spit walking to the ground, and then um, you know came good, and Mark sort of said that you know have you ever thought of not drinking, Steve, and um, you know, I'd always think, you know, I always think of not drinking. I just just think of not drinking much. And, uh, you know, and then uh, also with with yourself, Bill, <laughs> I was doing a, uh, an Al-Anon um, service on, a, on the weekend. I, again, been out the night before, again, had said I won't have that much because I'm doing something tomorrow morning. And, um, again, drank way too much. And... Uh, 
you know, asked you, could you, you mind driving my car into the city and uh, had to get you to pull over. And so I had a, had a little spit and, uh, and you also said, you know, Steve, have you ever thought of just not drinking at all? You know, so I had that suit in my mind and all that all the time. And, you know, one time I had my son on my shoulders and, um, and he noticed a CUB logo in Richmond and, uh, I thought, oh, how good's this? You can recognise the CUB logo. And Nathan said to me, uh, no, Dad, it's, it's yuck. I said, what do you mean it's yuck? And he said, oh, it's yuck, Dad, because when you drink, you don't talk to me. And, you know, two steps back, I was the father of the year and, and everything, you know, everything's fine and I, my drinking doesn't affect anybody else. Those sort of thought, that denial. Again, later on... Um, I was going, you know, it was around Christmas time. We uh, were going somewhere for lunch and the night before I was going out with mates and, of course, I'll just have a couple and I didn't. I had a couple too many uh, when we were driving over there. I had the sweats, shakes, everything and had to get Wendy to pull over the car. I was, you know, on the ground. I just wanted to lie down and Nathan was crying and... Um, when he was trying to get me up and people coming out of their houses to see what was wrong. And, you know, so Wendy dropped me off and uh, I looked up a meeting on online and went to an AA meeting that night in at Box Hill and uh, actually heard a uh, somebody share virtually exactly my story, uh, Peter B, who uh, recently passed away sober. I think he was about 16 years sober. And um, that was my first ever meeting of AA. Yeah. So did you pick it up straight away? No. No, I... Uh, everybody thinks they're unique in AA, and uh, I was. I was just that unique one and uh, just questioned whether I really was an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, I drank after three months going out. I was convinced I wasn't going to have a drink, but deep down I knew I was going to have a drink, and I did. And, you know, I was even worried that people would tap me on the shoulder and say, you don't belong in here, all those, that sort of fear, everything. So it, it took a while and then, you know, it was about another year. It was a, another Christmas breakup and um, I don't know how it happened, why or what have you, but uh, I went to get a... Uh, a can of silo out of a tub that I knew it wasn't in there. And I said to the guy, oh, there's no silo. So, of course, he gave me a, uh, a beer. There's my little excuse. It's not my fault or problem. But somehow halfway through that, I, I saw that it was just going to be the same. I would end up convincing others to come out and go to pubs. And, you know, we had something, I think, the next day and I knew I wouldn't make it and all those sort of things. And... So I uh, I put that beer down and um, so luckily that's been my last drink since just over nine years ago. Right. Yeah, it's important to take action quickly, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Um, so, Gail, so you've been in AA for a while and you got into a relationship with an alcoholic. So how did that work out? Well, actually, it didn't work out that well. I met this person after I'd been in AA for about two, two and a half years. And um, within quite a short time of being in that relationship, I started to feel that I was going downhill and that the uh, all the good work that I'd done in AA was um, being undone. Um, I did speak to um, another uh, AA member about this and she suggested that I go to Al-Anon. Anyway, I, I didn't do that because I thought that I could, you know, fix this situation up myself. And, of course, I couldn't. So um, I was sort of, once again, I was left with no choice but to, um, to go to Al-Anon because there was nowhere left for me to go to address this problem. Yeah. So did it trigger any thoughts of growing up of your father's drinking? Um, yeah, the only thing that made any sense to me while I was in this relationship was that I was actually behaving and thinking the same as what I did when I was growing up in the family home. And, and that was the only thing that's out of it all that, that made any sense to me. 
so yeah there were a lot of similarities there yeah so did you seek any professional help uh yes yes i did um again seek a bit of professional help i went to see a, a doctor who specialized in alcoholism and he sort of more or less agreed with me that it was all his fault, which suited me at the moment. <laughs> it's classic, isn't it? Yeah. However, they, they didn't uh, suggest that I go to Wellanon either, but I, I'd, I'd had remembered what the AA member had said to me, so I knew about Al-Anon. It was just, um, I guess, waiting for the when I was willing to uh, do anything about it to actually walk through the door of an Al-Anon meeting. Yeah, so what triggered you to do that, to actually go? Oh, well, um, I just came to the realisation that it was um, a bit above me to try and uh, sort it all out. And uh, I'd become so obsessed with this relationship that, um, you know, I couldn't focus on anything else. And um, I was actually, you know, also physically um, exhausted. Um, from trying to go to work, you know, sort this relationship out. And uh, I felt like I was doing everything myself and no help from anybody. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll just go to an Al-Anon meeting and, and see what happens, see what they have to say. Okay. So how did it make you feel? Uh, well, look, the first meeting that I went to, I just felt such relief because um, here I was in a room of people who understood me. Um, and who were experiencing the same sort of things in their relationships with um, practicing alcoholics um, that I was. So um, once again, it was um, a lot of acceptance and a lot of understanding and um, yeah, quite a lot of hope. Yeah. So could you talk to other people about it outside Eleanor? No, I didn't. No, apart from the professional people that I spoke to, I didn't. I didn't like to speak to anybody about it because I thought, if people really knew what was going on in this insane relationship, they would think I was mad. So <laughs> I didn't talk to anybody about it. And looking back on that, it was it was actually quite a burden to bear, you know, uh, on your own. Yeah. 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 Without any support from anyone. Yeah. So did Alan help you stay in that relationship? Um, well, I did stay in the relationship um, for quite a few months because it was suggested that you don't make any major decisions in the first six to 12 months of being in Al-Anon. So I adhered to that. Eventually, we did split up and go our own, uh, our own separate ways. Though. Okay. So do you still go both, to both Al-Anon and AA? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I still go to um, Al-Anon and AA on a weekly basis. And... Um, I find that I need both programs and um, they help me in my um, daily life. So, um, yeah, I still like to go and, and connect up with people. Okay, thanks. So, Steve, back to you. So, you got into AA. When, when did you get serious about recovery in AA? It took me longer, maybe, than Theo, because I'm... Uh a bit unique and uh, like I said, and uh, I'm pretty smart, you know, and I wasn't totally convinced with the uh, higher power God sort of thing from my upbringing and what have you. So I, and all fear around me. So I, look, I, I asked a, a guy to sponsor me, but uh, he, he told me to ring or asked me to ring on a certain day and time and we'll chat about it. And um, I didn't, because I was too scared to. And then when I saw him next and spoke to him, I sort of said, oh, you didn't expect me to, to actually ring you, did you? You know, a bit of a joke. And uh, he sort of just said, well, yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, hurt, crushed, fear, that sort of thing, rejection. So I got too scared to pursue it anymore with him. And then I, I heard another guy share, and um, I really related to him because he, he talked about the feeling of hiding behind your mother and, and sort of just sticking your head out and, and that's just how I sort of felt. I really identified with it. So I asked him to be my sponsor and, you know, he said yes. And then, um, but I didn't actually ask him to do anything or ask anything of him because I was pretty smart. And, uh, you know, my home group was a steps meeting. So I was just telling him what I was doing, how I was doing it and what have you. And um, wasn't getting very far and, you know, I just kept saying, oh, I'm stuck on this step four. And he just patiently said, oh, 
I don't know, Steve, in my experience, maybe you, you need to look at the previous step then if you're having trouble with that step and no, 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 it's not that, get stuff, no way, what have you. And then uh, I think that went on for over a year and um, I eventually I, I actually asked him to um, you know, take me through the steps to you know, ask help, that sort of thing. And um, you know, he said, well, when the student is ready, the uh, teacher will appear and away we went. So getting into AA then, did that mean that you stopped going to Eleanor? No, I, I kept going to Eleanor for, I, I can't remember the exact things. I, I stayed, remained going to Eleanor for I think about the first two or three or four years in, in AA. And then I, I, I stopped a, a little bit. Man, you know, I, I'm playing basketball couple of nights a week and then the one team was on a Thursday night I, I sort of stopped there and so I stopped for a bit and um but recently I've I've, I've been in contact with Elanon all the way through now I try to get one meeting a, a week okay so I, I didn't ask you Gail but how long have you been sober in AA I've been sober for just over 30 years okay that's a long time it is a long time, um, but I didn't actually stay sober from my first meeting either because I thought even though AA was a good fellowship, uh, I could probably do it my way, not the suggested way. So, uh, it wasn't until I surrendered completely that I uh, put the drink down and kept it down. Yeah. So how long did that take for you to realise that you couldn't do it alone? Uh, it actually took about 12 years, I'm ashamed to say. Wow. <laughs> Uh, amazing, isn't it? Okay. Well, listen, um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can phone them on 1300 222 or go online to aa.org.au for more information and details of your local AA meetings. Uh, if you'd like more information about Alan and Family Groups, you can call them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Gail and Steve for sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous and Eleanor Recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of Eleanor family groups. Thanks for listening and stay tuned now for more great 3CR radio. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. Australian music needs your help. Music festivals, concerts and local gigs have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Artists, crew and music workers have lost their jobs and don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence. But you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now.